0: Are you looking to scale up your healthcare solution in partnership with leading healthcare companies such as Anthem, Chicago Pacific Founders, Evernorth and United Health Group with over 200 million members? Applications are open for the 2021 UCSF Rosamund ADAPT program. Startups developing breakthrough technologies that improve healthcare efficiency will receive $100,000 cash support and connections to payers. To apply, please visit RosenmanInstitute.org. And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winoto.
1: Our guest today is Joel Klein, the Chief Information Officer of Maryland Medical System, where he oversees the operation of medical information technology for over 29,000 employees in 14 different hospitals and 15 different practice locations. As CIO, he uses his experience as an emergency physician and his technological expertise to make medical technology work for the people who use it every day. In this episode, we discuss a day in the life of the CIO of such a large company and how experience as a physician can give senior officers an advantage Joel also talks me through how COVID vaccination programs work on the IT side, both in the early days of the pandemic and now. And here's our conversation. Welcome, Joel. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, where are you working these days? Like, what side are you working from home, I noticed.
2: Yeah, so uh, I spent most of my morning up at our corporate headquarters in Baltimore. Um, I am here for about another hour, and then we have a dinner meeting uh, tonight. So I am all over the place today, which is not unusual for me.
1: Okay, well, it's good that you know uh, things are slowly going back to normal, that you have a dinner meeting.
2: Yeah, uh, actually, it's, it's great to be able to see colleagues again. Yesterday, we had the ribbon-cutting for our new regional medical center that we're opening, uh, on the east side of Washington, DC. It's called Prince George's. Uh, it used to be Prince George's medical center, but now it's the university of Maryland capital region medical center. It's a 200 bed hospital and trauma center, uh, which will take care of, um, a relatively underserved County. And we were all piled in there. The governor of Maryland was there. Our, uh, a whole bunch of elected officials, all of the executive team for the hospital in our system. And our CEO uh, stood up at the beginning and said, so we're going to let science dictate what we do here around masks. If you're vaccinated, you do not need to be wearing a mask in here. And uh, of course, the vast majority of the people who were vaccinated and it was, uh, I don't think anyone had ever heard an announcement like that, especially from such a senior person. So it was uh, quite a breath of fresh air
1: yeah yeah who would have thought like where we, we this could have happened. but um, I thought uh, I thought it would be good to for our listener to hear a little bit about your background and your path, how you get to where you are now as the CIO.
2: Sure. So I started my career as an emergency doctor um, and was hired out of residency at one of the community hospitals in our health system. It's a very, very busy. A uh, community hospital, really high admission rate. wasn't a trauma center, uh, but just a lot of you know folks from nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities, just a lot of sick older people, and I loved it. And um, uh, it was great for me because we had little kids back then, so I could be home in the morning and home in the evening, and then go work and sleep during the day while they were, uh, you know, um, uh, at school. And uh, I quickly. Uh, found myself being asked to do more and more administrative things. I was elected the head of my group. Um, I started doing a lot of stuff to help at the hospital level. And I had always been interested in IT things, uh, going back to when I was a kid. And so about 12 or 13 years ago, when we started changing out our electronic medical record systems, I was very, very involved in those projects. And um, it was just one of these, one thing led to another, Um, where we changed out our IT systems and then the next hospital in our system did the same thing and then the next and then the next. And I've always uh, enjoyed trying to get the most out of our IT systems and trying to get them to make life easier for those of us who are on the front lines taking care of patients Um, or to get data out of those systems so that the people who are working hardest uh, can get fairly compensated or fairly rewarded for their hard work. Doesn't matter whether they're a nurse or a registrar or a doctor. Uh, you know, understanding our performances and being objective about that is is one of the other uh, ways that um, healthcare IT systems can be so powerful. So, all of that. You know, lots of different passions there, and um, I've been our CIO now for I think around two years. Um, was the deputy CIO for a couple of years prior to
1: that. So you mentioned about using IT to reward people who work the hardest? And what do you mean by that and how IT can be used to help make that happen?
2: Yeah, so there's lots of ways. Uh, For me, one of my earliest projects had to do with um, actually the pay of our physicians in our group. Um, So a significant portion of the way our providers were compensated had to do with you know how hard they worked. So somebody that came in and saw more patients, or was able to take care of a patient's problem more efficiently, um, you know, uh, that's someone who's obviously more valuable to the patients because they're taking, you know, they're they're doing what I think, uh, you know, patients and their families want, which is to get good, safe, efficient care and not be stuck in a, you know, in an uncomfortable bed or stretcher or chair for hours and hours. But how do you measure that, right? So Mm. when do you start the clock? Is it when they hit the room? Is it when I pick up the chart? What if the patient's been in the room for two hours and I just came on shift? So there's all these, you know, things that you have to deal with. And the only way to deal with them is to get all the data, uh, really spread it out, understand it, look at it, um, and validate it. And to do that, you have to have a really good understanding of how the data got there. Mm
1: -hmm. So maybe you can uh, also tell us, like, what, does a chief information officer in a health system what, what is their role and what is the day to day work that you're doing? Sure. Besides attending cutting ribbon of the opening of the party.
2: <laughs> well, I was in the very back of the room. Um, yeah, so we're a shared service that provides IT support to you know, an almost uh, $4 billion company. Um, we have about 30,000 people who work for us, and then another 20,000 people who are uh, medical school faculty, students, support staff, contractors. Uh, So it's a user base of about 50,000 people. Um, I'm responsible for all of the applications that that community uses. So if you come and are admitted to the hospital, the computers that our staff use to register you, to order medications, to document the care, uh, to order procedures, uh, tests, and then the systems that staff use to document their assessments of you, to read test results, to look at x-rays, um, all of that is, is our wheelhouse. Um, there's, of course, business systems. So any company of that size has to order supplies, um, has to have accounting systems, has to have HR systems. Um, so we have all of those applications that we have to take care of. Those applications all have to talk to each other. Um, So there has to be infrastructure to glue it all together. So you need data centers, you need people to run the data centers, uh, you need people to back up the data centers, and then you have to wrap all that stuff in security so uh, that everything is kept safe, again, on behalf of our patients. Um, So my day this morning started with a system board meeting where uh, we have a lot of board members participating virtually. So video conferencing is a big part of how uh, we still do business in the era of COVID, so making sure that our new video conferencing system was working right. I had lunch with our patient experience uh, vice president at our uh, academic flagship hospital. He had a bunch of ideas of things that he wants to try to do to use technology to um, help with our patient experience, and he was looking for how I could try to help him. We had a call with our medical malpractice insurance trust about how to get electronic consents uh, done more consistently, uh, and now you and I are talking. So it's a, a day of all sorts of things and probably five or six phone calls that I'm not even remembering and a couple hundred emails in there.
1: Okay, and so ha- not every CIO with, has the background as being a physician, but you have that. How does that helped you in your role?
2: So I think it does a couple things. One is... It lets me um, understand requests that come to us in a different context. So we get all kinds of asks, uh, and and understanding what is a wow that's a really good idea we should do that versus I don't know you know I I, I I've seen I, I don't see how that's going to actually make a difference on the front lines. Um, so it lets me sort of call the balls and strikes on that. Now, you know, whether we do or don't do something is not a decision that I'm going to make myself. I make sure that, you know, there's a whole team of people, but, you know, I, I help to frame that decision and help to translate the different requirements so that the organization's leaders can make good decisions. I think my experience helps me with that. But then the flip side is when I have to go explain the decision, particularly if it's a, we're not going to do this decision back to, my physician or, or other, you know, clinician colleagues, I, you know, I'm speaking to them as a peer, as a fellow uh, clinical person who's taking care of patients and who knows, uh, you know, the, the day-to-day struggles that they have with technology and with just, you know, the workflow of caring for people in a hospital or in an ambulatory setting. So I think it, it helps with the credibility of, uh, you know, of, of having that conversation back. And then I guess the last thing is, uh, you know, as an emergency physician, um, you get good at at a little bit of everything and you don't get too freaked out by anything pretty much ever. Everything Uh, was emergency. (laughs) Well, you know, it takes a lot to get me, you know, too fired up. Uh, And I think those are good temperamental qualities for somebody who has to be in this role. Um, You know, uh, there's a lot of of pretty tough things that happen in a, in a big company that you have to deal with, particularly in technology, particularly today in technology. And while I I will not uh, tell you that I'm the greatest CIO that ever lived, because I'm definitely not, I think that the experiences I've had for the last 20 years have helped me maybe react
0: a little more constructively when we have to deal with some crisis or other.
1: And that's great.
0: This podcast is sponsored by brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com.
1: Which bring me to my next question: um, What are the top three to five major concerns that you face as a CIO these days? You mentioned with a lot of challenges with technology, digital security.
2: Yeah, well, let's start there. So, security is probably the biggest one. You know, uh, in the paper this month, we've had the Colonial Pipeline hack. We've had, uh, you know, on the West Coast, scripts. Getting hacked on the East Coast. Where did I just read the universe? One of the University of Florida hospitals. Uh, you know, uh, so coast to coast, uh, Ireland's health system just got uh, compromised. So it's a this is a global crisis, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate the attention that our president is now giving uh, to the issue with the executive order he issued uh, the last few weeks. Um, I think the attention the Department of Justice is giving this is helpful. I think we need to look more at the role of cryptocurrency and how we can perhaps um, not let that make ransomware such an easy thing to do, because that's mm-hmm. clearly a piece of the equation. So all of the security issues—that's that's one thing. Um, I think um, a, a sort of a short to medium term crisis is how do I help vaccinate? You know, our our community. Um, COVID has killed millions of people around the world. And here at home, while we as a country have a higher vaccination rate than many, many, many other countries, I still have a strong sense of obligation as an anchor institution um, here in Maryland uh, to try to get um, people who haven't been vaccinated vaccinated. And there's lots of ways that technology can help with that. Um, but there's a lot of disenfranchised folks that, you know, that we haven't reached yet. So that's that's another immediate top concern. I think the cost of healthcare. And how we can bring that cost down rationally um, in the United States is a a third big concern. So, you know, if, if a typical hospitalization for a typical disease is four days, how can I facilitate getting that patient home 12 hours earlier to get it to three days? What, you know, layers of protection can I put around that patient so that we are taking just as good a care of them in the comfort of their home? Again, just that last day, because even just a day, that's a huge savings uh, mm-hmm. on so many, so many levels. Um, so I'd, I'd say that those are the top three that come to mind.
1: Okay. So with the security, you mentioned about what the mitigating, like things that the government can do, uh, uh, your organization can do, but for like getting people, more people vaccinated and also shortening, improving the, the patient's quality of care, how you as a CIO can contribute to that. Sure.
2: So yeah, so um, I'll give you a a couple of examples having to do with something called clinical pathways or care paths. They go by different names. Mm -hmm. But the idea is if I have a disease like congestive heart failure or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which you might, uh, uh, it's a longer name for emphysema. um, If you get hospitalized with a condition like that and Those conditions are responsible for a huge fraction of hospitalizations across the country. The problem we have is that different doctors, depending on who you get that day, will approach it a little differently. So they'll dose the medications that you are supposed to give in those circumstances a little differently. They'll, you know, not be as aggressive about getting patients up and out of bed, about getting uh, physical therapy to see them, about getting occupational therapy to see them, about you know, how to time lab work so that the patient isn't waiting around an extra eight hours just to get something done. It's about being consistent and consistently and appropriately aggressive in trying to get patients back to their baseline. And what we know, people being people, uh, and doctors are human just like, uh, you know, just like the rest of us, is that there's going to be some variability. And so one of the ways that technology can help us there is by showing not just the doctors, but the whole care team, okay, this is a person with congestive heart failure. Here is their cardiac status, and there's various ways of, of describing that quantitatively. Um, here's where they are now. Here's their baseline. For example, just weight. So if a patient gains 10 pounds in fluid weight, which is typically what happens, then you say, well, it's going to take x hours. It might be 48 hours, 72 hours to get that weight off at optimal, that fluid weight off at an optimal diuretic rate. So therefore, the dose of the medications that we want to give, uh, medications like Lasix, um, would be this many milligrams this far apart, and we want to check the patient's kidney function and electrolytes this often. But being consistent there, as opposed to eyeballing it, uh, and again, it's every day that we can get a patient out of the hospital. It's very, very meaningful. It lowers the chance of getting a hospital-acquired infection. Um, the food's better at home. You don't get woken up in the middle of the night. Um, and again, it's about being consistent, and technology can really help us with that.
1: So does that mean you have more or less like a customized checklist for each of the patients?
2: Exactly. So a checklist is a great analogy. Um, And we actually have other care pathways for other diseases that look a lot more like checklists. So for example, if you're having surgery on the back half of your intestines, your colon, like for colon cancer, we know that if you follow a really strict checklist where your uh, preoperative skin cleaning is very carefully uh, done, that your prep where you have to drink all that awful fluid like you do for a colonoscopy, if that's done really religiously, um, if your temperature before surgery, your glucose control, if you're diabetic before surgery, all these things. And and we can use technology to drive a checklist. Again, if we're doing, you know, four cases um, uh, per surgeon in four rooms, I mean, how are you going to keep track of all that? And and the computer can help us do that. Another great example is in the intensive care unit. So, you know, there's lots of fancy technology that we use in intensive care units, but a lot of times it comes back to the basic stuff, like trying to get um, invasive lines out of patients, uh, getting tubes out of patients that don't need to be there, advancing their diet, mobilizing them. And again, this is all checklist stuff uh, that's been shown over and over again to get patients out of the unit faster. And again, this is all, this is a a great use case for our computer systems.
1: So is Oftentimes, do you guys uh, try to come up with the system in-house, or usually you incorporate technology companies who are like, "Hey, this is the platform that you can use to serve this type of patient, this type of patient population," and incorporate it into your system.
2: So, generally speaking, our approach is we use uh, an electronic medical record suite um, that, um, handles most of the technology needs, but where we sometimes have to turn to partners, um, is for the content. So for example, what's the, what is the evidence-based evidence backed checklist for an ICU patient? What about for a COPD patient? What about for, you know, a, a cardiac bypass patient? And, you know, we have a lot of outstanding clinicians who work for us, um, as part of our community. Either through the School of Medicine or who work at one of our community hospitals. And I mean, these are world class people and they can, you know, they can give us what they think their consensus opinion is working as a group. And sometimes that's just the fastest way to get to an answer. Other times we have turned to other partners uh, just to either validate their thinking um, or just to get there faster. It depends.
1: And so, I mean, the other day I was talking to uh, somebody whose technology is providing. Data contacts to the physician before they meet the patient, so that when they meet the patient, they are ready to kind of have a better engagement with the patient. Do you see? Do you see that as something that would be very helpful to improve the efficiency of the doctor? Um, is this something that you think is just a gimmicky?
2: So, when you say patient contacts, can you tell me more about what? So, about?
1: I guess what they come up with is that they 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 know the history of the patients. Maybe like you know, a year ago they came in with certain condition, um, and they have done certain tests, and they kind of give you more like all the data for the, when the patients showed up. They don't have to go through uh the the data and then ask questions to the patient like what happened what happened, you know, what's your symptoms, they have all, when they meet with the patient, they already prepare with a lot of the information that otherwise would take them 10 minutes to interview the patient when they're there.
2: Yeah, sure. So that's invaluable. Um, And that's actually one of the the whole reasons that we have electronic medical record systems today, um, is to be able to do exactly what you're talking about. So if I'm seeing a patient, particularly a patient who's confused, um or unconscious or can't tell me why they're there for some reason, um, or who is telling me a story that doesn't quite make sense. And then I look in the chart and I say, wait a second, is this exactly like what happened three years ago? And they say, Yes, that's exactly this is it's exactly the same thing. Then I can cut to the chase a lot faster and be more confident that I'm not missing something. Because the patients often will tell you exactly what's you know wrong with them, and if uh, in fact it is just a repeat, or even more importantly, if there is a difference, and you um, you pick up on the fact that there is a difference, then mm-hmm. you, you you know you take your investigation in a different direction. So for most of us who work in, you know, large group practices or even individual doctors, you know, looking at your chart, looking at the patient's past records is super important. And in many cases, uh, there's ways now uh, at looking at health information exchanges that actually um, uh, group together medical records from different systems on one patient so that you get an even more complete picture of uh, what's going on with the patient. So
1: how... Do your institution work with company, with technology? I mean, what what kind of process they have to go through? What kind of uh, checklist that they need to at least get passed before they can be considered to partner with your organization? Well, I think it
2: starts with, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? Um, I think... You know, one of the things that we say a lot in uh, in healthcare, you know is let's let's talk about what problem we're trying to solve rather than finding a company or some technology that you know it looks shiny, it looks fun, it looks useful, let's find a, a home for it that's that's generally less constructive than um, let's let's clearly define the problem in front of us and how we want to you know solve it and then, maybe how does technology play a role in that and then I think the next step is you know is there anything that we that we own today before we start you know adding additional vendors or additional technology you know, is there some way we can solve the problem with the with the with the tools available to us already and I think only then uh, do we, we start to look around and see you know what else might be there I think there's a there's a, a an idea that all we need is the right technology and and our problems are solved. And that's just not true. Uh, and, uh, I, I think getting back to the basics of a problem more than anything is, is the advice that I, I find myself giving my colleagues around the system. Um, so I think, um, if you're a vendor in the space, I think it's being honest about, how, uh, you, you know, your implementation path. Um, I think being easy, not being complicated, um, you know, um,
1: What do you mean by being easy and not complicated the technology or the people? <laughs> Both.
2: All of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, complicated interfaces or, um, y- you know, um, Systems where it essentially recreates what we already have, um, but but you know uh, takes it three inches to the left, and we end up just repaving you know stuff that we already have. That stuff like that does not really do a lot of do us a lot of good. Um, I would say another thing that we're starting to get a lot more sensitive to is this idea that a lot of companies are are really looking for ways to get their hands on healthcare data. And so, where the patient becomes the product, just like you know, uh, free mail applications and things like that, it's another area where I, I think we we tend to react a little negatively too. And then, and then, of course, security is a, a, a huge issue. Um, getting back to us about our security questions, um, that that's very very important.
1: And so, how important? Like how e- easy or for a vendor to understand the workflow how translatable the workflow from different provider health system to another health system. And I'm assuming that is something to consider as well.
2: Yeah, it's huge. Um, it all depends. So, and again, this is where me being a doc can sometimes be helpful. We will sometimes hear, well, you don't understand. We do it differently here. Uh, and sometimes that's true, and sometimes there's a good reason for that. But more often than not, it's an issue of control and the fear of losing control over your work environment. And so, if we can get people to trust the idea that we've got an approach to something that really does work, and that you know, just trust us, please. Uh, we've you know, we've we've spent a lot of time on this, and we think this really does work well. Here, come look at this other site. We'll show you. Um. So uh, rather than, and and then, you know, fitting with naturally occurring practices. So, you know, for example, a a product that requires physicians to do a whole bunch of work after hours or after the patients have gone, that's probably not going to be, you know, terribly uh, exciting for for physicians as opposed to something, you know, that that happens in a little more real time.
1: It's always good to um, save time and save money. I think that's, when people are willing to pay for it, I guess. So maybe you can uh, move for the second uh, uh, areas that you talk about is getting more people vaccinated. Um, How is that, you know, as your role as CIO, can help make that happen?
2: Sure. So when we started vaccinating people, the approach that we took, like a lot of uh, other organizations, is we wanted to have... You know, monster NFL. You know, um, mass vaccination venues where we could get as many people vaccinated as possible, because our belief was that the quicker we got as many people done as we could, then that that would really help us in terms of the race against the variants, uh, and and really uh, make it possible for the vaccine uh, to arrest the progression of the pandemic. And I think we've all of us have been largely successful, at least in the United States, of, uh, with doing that because the uh, infection rates have plummeted, death rates have plummeted, and that's all good stuff. So the first step was really setting up mass vaccination sites. And there's a ton of IT involved with that. There were a lot of companies that sprang up that, you know, we do vaccination software. And that is, you know, we, we, we saw a bunch of places do that and then kind of come to us and say, do you think you we you know would you come in and do this for us? I mean we we've been doing vaccinations as a healthcare entity for decades, and we have a pretty streamlined way of of you know getting people registered and 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 doing it quickly. So it's using it's it's applying that expertise to doing it at scale, where you can do ten or ten thousand or or even more vaccinations a day. So that was the first phase. Where we are now is um, the person to person, you know, one person at a time battle, uh, of mobile vaccination. So that means getting out into the community and finding people who have not yet been vaccinated and, um, reaching them and, um, talking to them about getting vaccinated and, and, uh, answering their questions. And then if they're willing to do it, going you know, vaccinating them. And so that's a different IT setup, right? Now I need Mm -hmm. something mobile, um, for everything. I, I, I'm not going to have you know, power. I'm not going to have a network. I'm not going to have any of the tools that I can set up when I'm in a fixed building. So uh, and, and in some cases, I have to change the workflow that's reflected in the software to make it easier to do when I'm standing up holding a tablet or something like that. So it's, it's all of those things um, and making it easier uh, to actually execute that workflow. And then it's also about finding the patient's Right. So you can't just wander around in in our case, Baltimore, looking for you know people to vaccinate. You've got to know where they are. Uh, and so it starts with, well, let's look at all of our patients because we can see who's been vaccinated and the ones that haven't. Let's go knock on their door or call them. And so that's all, all of that is technology.
1: So that's happening right now. Yep. I guess that's what the stage. So well, that, that's good. That seems like a lot of hard work, a lot of. The last mile is always the hardest, isn't it?
2: Well, you know, it's it's an asymptote, right? I mean, you have a huge peak and and now we're we're, we're doing the hard part. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's how it is. Uh, but it's healthcare, so it's going to be hard. You yeah. just have to put one foot in front of the other and remind yourself that, you know, we're here for a reason.
1: Yeah. So before I let you go, my one last question. With the pandemic, you see a lot of the telehealth happen and now the <laughs> pandemic, you know, slowly going away. Hopefully, never happen again. Uh, I, everybody say telehealth is here to stay. I think there's a lot of uh, interest, at least from the patient side. Like you're saying, uh, being at home more comfortable actually help the patient. And I think that there is this this transformation in healthcare that is going to happen. And how can you bring care to home, and then only come to the hospital when they really need to be in a hospital? in as a health system, do you, I mean, what, what do you think about that? And what kind of, uh, as an, a CIO, what are the things that you need to uh, prepare to embrace that kind of trend?
2: Sure. So um, lots of issues. So the first is, is there gonna be a market need for this going forward? And I think the answer is almost certainly yes. The question is whether insurance companies are going to pay for telehealth visits, because if they're not, then this will probably go back to the way it was pre-pandemic. I think that will be a shame because it's pretty clear that you can take care of a lot of problems, you know, just like, you know, having a conversation just like we're doing now. Um, And video can certainly assist with that because I can show you my, you know, my rash or how I can move my arm um, or, you know, how I hurt myself. And in many cases, you can, you know, take care of the problem. Um, and it's, it's also true that with, you know, monitoring devices like EKG strips or glucose, you know, monitoring tools, we can even add a layer of data that, that you know, can make that conversation even more meaningful. Um, but even just the conversation alone is, uh, you know, it's clearly been productive for many, many patients. Uh, but the economics are going are to drive this. So, and I, and that is, and and the reason why that's a CIO question is I have to decide what kind of investments to make. So if we're not going to be doing this, then spending a whole bunch of time setting up infrastructure for it is probably a mistake. So then the, the question is, how do we, you know, actually execute these visits with technology? And so I've got two people to think about. I've got the clinician and all their supporting staff, and then I've got the patients, so just like when you're recording a podcast, do you have, you know, a staff member who's going to work with the person asking the questions to set everything up and get the appointment set and get all the tech set up and, you know, because the doctors, they're not so, uh, you know, great with that. Um, and, you know, then now you're going to try to reach out to a hard of hearing, you know, older patient who doesn't, you know, understand all this newfangled, you know, fancy things that the kids play with today. And so... You've got to you've got to cut through that somehow. Um, it's all doable. It's just you know work and making things easier and easier and easier. Um, and then finally, you've got to figure out you know how are we gonna how are we gonna capture uh, the record of this visit? Are we gonna write a note? Are we gonna just record the whole thing? Um, what does any of that mean? So I, there's a lot uh, to sort through there, um, from uh, the market need all the way out to billing. Um, Ultimately, I think it's going to happen because it's just too convenient. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work through it.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. And hopefully you get some temperature from the payers, if this is going to continue or not by now.
2: Well, <laughs> we'll see.
1: Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, our content writer, Kelly Muscat, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.